when you have great coaches, then after you have great coaches, you get great players. You have a great organization, and you tell them one thing. Just win, David. listening to just pod baby a las vegas raiders podcast brought to you by silver and black today.com and now your host evan Grote. and let's go raider nation Welcome back to another episode of Just Pod Baby, the Week 12 Recap Show. All I can say about that game is yuck. It was an absolute no-show for the Raiders from the top right down to the bottom. They were bad in all phases in the game. The coaching was bad, the players were bad, but more importantly, the focus and the execution was atrocious. There's no way to sugarcoat it. This episode of Just Pod Baby is brought to you by SilverAndBlackToday.com, the website that started it all. We now have a daily radio show on the flagship station for the Raiders, Raider Nation Radio. We have a great team of writers on the website, and we have the podcast library, and we're only going to get bigger and better, so get on board now. Don't forget to check out our sponsors at Manscaped.com. They are the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. With the holidays right around the corner, it's a great time to add the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 to your wish list. The third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin-safe technology by Manscaped. And that's what I love most about this product is, you know, in the past I've used other types of trimmers and things like that, and, and, you know, you get nicked up, and trust me, that is not a fun time. You don't want to experience that. So if you're listening to me talk right now, I want you to experience Manscaped firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the promo code PODBABY at manscaped.com all right back to football now as i said at the top the raiders were embarrassed sunday on the road 43 to 6 against the atlanta falcons but now let's bring in our co-host hopefully he can help make some sense of the week 12 meltdown by the raiders joining us as he does every monday night is our senior columnist at silver and black today he's also a featured nfl columnist with weekly report he's our guy mo moton mo how you doing tonight uh, I had the last of my leftovers last night. They didn't taste as good after a Raider beat down uh, 43 to 6. So uh, food doesn't taste as good after a loss. But um, I'm here to break it down. People d- step off the ledge. I-, I know it was a bad loss, but there there is a bright side and there is a silver lining in there somewhere. You, you still living off the Thanksgiving leftovers? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, definitely still living off this. Still, <laughs> there was still a little bit of cake left last night. I had a little bit of ham last night because we, we, we make a lot of food over here in the Milton family. We have a lot of food. We have a feast. So uh, I had I had the last of it yesterday. Again, it, like I said, it was good, but uh, not tasting that great after a loss. But I'm here. I'm here today to kind of refocus. Yeah. And Mo, did you have a, a nice, happy Thanksgiving? How was it? I had a really nice Thanksgiving, even though Q kind of made fun of my uh, traditional Thanksgiving desserts. I, I told him I love red velvet cake and uh, chocolate rainbow layer cake. And, and Q, basically Q and Scott were just kind of baffled that who, who eats that Thanksgiving? I'm just like, well, it's a tradition over here in the Moten family. And now I have to have I have to share a slice with them so that they can get on board with it. 
<laughs> Sounds good, Mo. Now, now speaking of traditions, uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna kind of do some things a little different today. We're not gonna do the traditional recap as we normally do. I don't think anyone out there wants to relive mm-hmm. a play by play breakdown of what we saw on Sunday. But we are what we are gonna do is we're gonna just discuss some different moments from the game, uh, things that went wrong for the Raiders, and, and get into some other discussions from the game as well. And uh, I also want to play some audio from Gruden from his press conference yesterday and. and and discuss some of what he had to say about the game. Uh, let's begin, though, with just some quick general thoughts about the game from you. Uh, well, to me, the game, I know a lot of people are comparing this game to the Jets game of last year, and I see the similarities, it being a letdown, at the, you know, being 6-4 and four and looking ahead to a playoff stretch. But I, I thought at the beginning it was very similar to the Patriots game we saw earlier. I know the Falcons didn't run for as much as the Patriots did uh, when the game was in, in the balance, but with the early penalties and the Raiders' offense looking as it did, stalling you know, in the red zone, I believe there were two back-to-back penalties on Colton Miller and Brandon Parker inside the 15. Uh, it looked very similar to that Patriots game in New England where the offense just looked out of sorts and the defense was kind of holding this team into it early before the, before the whole bottom fell out for the Raiders down the stretch. Yeah, that's a, that's a good comparison I think you made there. Uh, obviously, there were, there were many things that went wrong uh, for the Raiders, you talked about some of the penalties. Offensive execution was not very good. Some argue that the game plan was not very sound from Gruden. They had five turnovers and, and way too many p- penalties. Now, one thing that um, I want to ask you about is is many people out there, we're, we're calling this a trap game. Uh, I even heard it brought up in uh, Derek Carr's press conference after the game. He was asked about it. Uh, you know, the Raiders coming off that, that emotional KC game from a week ago. I know you have some thoughts about this. Go ahead and, and share them with us. Yeah, I've been talking about this trap game thing for a week. I was on with Q and Scott, Silver and Black today, Raider Nation Radio, and, you know, we talked about it, and I started out just with a, a small rant. And I, and I just feel like I don't think – I think I have a different idea of what a trap game is than other people, most other people. Other people were saying, well, it's a trap game because the Raiders are playing well and they're playing a lesser team. And I think it happens sometimes when you just come out flat. I think it ha- I've seen good teams. I've seen it happen to Aaron Rodgers and the, and the Packers and in recent years and the Seahawks. I've seen other teams come out flat against lesser teams. It happens. To me, a trap game is when a team that's perpetually good, a perpetual playoff team like the Seahawks, like the Packers, like the Chiefs, like the Saints, teams like that, teams that win double digit, that come away with double digit wins usually every season and go to the playoffs, they are associated with trap games because they're usually in the playoffs. They, they figure, well, we're going to eventually get it together. We're going to eventually turn things around. That hasn't been the Raiders' history. They've, they've had a non-winning record for all but one year since 2002. How are you thinking? Just I, know, I understand they were playing well and they had a moral victory against the Chiefs and they beat the Chiefs this year and they're playing well this year, but you have to understand that they've fallen apart. As people brought up to me on Twitter, they have fallen apart in recent years. So how is this a, you know, how can you look at any game as a trap game? You have a history of falling apart or not playing well. You're not the Seahawks. You're not the Packers. You're not the Chiefs. You're not the Saints. Those teams traditionally do well and go to the playoffs. The Raiders have not in recent years over the last two decades. So I just feel like those teams you can associate a trap game with, not the Raiders. You could say they came out flat. You could say they played bad football. But I don't think this is a trap game because the Raiders just have no right to overlook anyone. Yeah, you're, that's an excellent point you make there. And 
basically what, what you're saying is the Raiders have not earned the right. They have not had enough success over the years to, like you said, overlook anyone. There should be no trap games for the Raiders because every game is a huge game for them. They're trying to get to the point where the Seahawks are, where the where the Steelers are, where the Chiefs are. They're trying to earn that respect across the league uh, and, and get on that level. So I'm with you. I think that's a great point you make up there. And, um, you know, we, we saw this, this type of performance just a year ago. Again, talking about trap games, well, or what people perceive as to be a trap game, they were in this position again last year. And I, I, I find it very interesting. Uh, we agree that this year's six and four team feels a lot different than the 2019 six and four team. In both cases, in both years, in week 12, they traveled east and get blown out against a team they were they were better than. I, I, I'm just going to say it right now. I don't care what the score was yesterday. The Raiders are a better team on paper right now. They're playing better football right now than the Falcons. But in, in your opinion, which worse was law, or which loss was worse, week 12 this year or week 12 last year? I, I believe week 12 this year because not only were the Raiders, you know, headed looking toward, a, you know, a playoff push, and I and I get that, but we, we talked, you just briefly mentioned the penalties. Uh, the Raiders didn't have as much penalties against the Jets. To me, they just, against the Jets, they just came out lethargic. Uh, there was the whole cold weather thing about Kari can't play well in cold weather. I know that's not an excuse, but um, again, I, I just feel like they came out really flat. To, in this game, it, they... People will say they came out flat, but I, I feel like the penalties were just lack of focus. I don't think that was just lack of effort or energy. It's just making just silly penalties throughout the whole game. And I, and I just feel like that really hurt them early, especially when they were trying to put together offensive drives and then you had the turnovers. The other thing is the Falcons didn't have two of their top offensive players in this game. You talked about it. You said the, the Raiders on paper are a better team than the Falcons. Now add on to the fact they didn't even have Julio Jones out there. They didn't have Todd Gurley out there. So they had their backup running back and just Calvin Ridley to worry about. And I know Hayden Hurst has some plays, but, I mean, no Julio, no Ty Gurley. You should win that game. And to get blown out 43-6, to six, it, to me, was just hugely disappointing. Yeah, I, I agree. Again, I, I think this year's loss was much more uh, you know, disappointing than, than the loss a year ago. You talked about the Falcons not having two of their best weapons. I do think they're a better team than what the Jets were a year ago. But still, when you don't have your two best weapons, mm-hmm. uh, it's just very, very disappointing. Because I, I just felt like that the Raiders of this year were past these types of performances. And maybe I just kind of got, maybe I was drinking the Kool-Aid too much. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Especially after, again, I bought into the, wow, they played so well last week against the Chiefs. And I really was drinking the Kool-Aid. I, I thought the talent on the roster this year, the the drive and the hunger with this team this year. I thought it was different, but I, I'm beginning to think I was wrong. I I also felt that having gone through the one in five finish from a year ago would have prepared this year's squad to learn from that experience and, and not take any game or opponent for granted. But as they say, you know, on any given Sunday, and that's that's why they play the game. So uh, anyhow, um, let's let's now get into the game, some of the details of the game, and dissect some of the misfortunes for the Raiders. Let's start with the turnovers. Five turnovers in all, three Derek Carr fumbles, an interception that went for a pick six, and then a Josh Jacobs fumble late in the third quarter. All in all, the turnovers led to 23 points for the Falcons. It could have been more because they had to settle for field goals a couple times. 
Um, now I did see that the car haters were out in full force last night. A lot of people wanting to blame this one on him. Uh, I think some of the, some people were just chomping at the bit to have something negative to say about him. I still think, uh, you know, he should be cut some slack in this case, at least with the fumbles. Uh, but what do you think about that? Uh, I think it's a mixture. I'm not one of those car haters out there. I know people were waiting for car to mess up because they see, I, I knew he was going to fold under pressure again, as he always does. But uh, you did mention the offensive line. I won't put it completely on. I would say more 50-50. I would go even. I'm sitting on the fence on this one. Uh, the, offense, the Raiders' offensive line gave up 14 pressures yesterday. Two for Colt Miller, four for Gabe Jackson, and eight for Brandon Parker. We praised ben, Brandon Parker on this show last week, and he he, he came up. He was very poor yesterday. And, and again, eight pressures and a sack given up is just inexcusable. But just I, really quick, I, out of the five turnovers, like, you know, if we want to focus on car, right? If we're going to say is it car's fault, is it, is it the offensive line? If we want to break it down really quickly, uh, on the first one, uh, Darren Waller was beat on the outside uh, for the first uh, sack fumble. Uh, car had a, had a second one where, where Parker was beat. Uh, car throws an interception to me. That's on him. Uh, Devontae Brooker, I think, run, a, run ran an option route, uh, went left, and Car threw it a little bit behind him. To me, that's on Car. Uh, the the third fumble by Carr, the ball, he he just hits Colton Miller, I believe. His arm bumps Colton Miller, and the ball just pops out of his hand. Uh, so it, it to me, again, a little bit of it is on Carr, because to me it seems like, and you mentioned this on Twitter during the game, you said Carr's grip, you, one of the weakest grips you've seen in a quarterback, and I would have to agree with that. It seems like as soon as you touch his hand, the ball is out. And I believe he talked about this. He has to learn two hands on the ball and protect the football at all times, especially when you have – a game where there's a lot of pressure coming at you, you have to protecting the football should be number one. And, and I'm sure Gruden harps on that as well. Yeah, I, I did tweet that out. And I, I have thought that about Carr for the last couple seasons. Um, and you know, it's not a knock on the guy. I know it's going to come out as negative, but it does seem like the ball is easily taken out of his hand. It doesn't take much for him to, 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 to jar that ball loose. Um, again, I don't know if it's an issue with small hands or grip strength, or just not being careful enough with the ball. But speaking of that, real quick, here's some audio of that very topic, what Carr had to say about the fumbles. Let's take a quick listen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we practice it all the time, too. I think that, that's the frustrating part. I think, uh, you know, on on one, on one the first one, I had, we always talk about two hands on the ball. I had, I had two hands on the ball, and he literally just hit, hit right on my forearm, and the ball slipped out of my hands, and then, Really, the other two were as I was throwing, you know. One was I, I didn't see – I never saw the last two guys. I never saw them. Um, you know, those 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 things, you don't want them to happen, but they happen, you know. Uh, but anytime I can see the guy, I try my best to get two hands on the ball, and I should have took that ball to my chest. That was a bad play. Bad play by me on the first one. Um, the other two, you know, may, I, I got to get the ball out quicker, you know. It's definitely not my line's fault. They've been doing a heck of a job, so – I, I got to do a better job of stepping up and making my read happen faster. Okay, so I you heard what Carr had to say there. Um, and we talked a little bit about the offensive line. Notice he didn't really want to throw his offensive lineman under the bus there. But I think what we saw yesterday was for the first time, we saw this offensive line get manhandled. And I think the absence of some of those guys, uh, Incognito and Trent Brown, finally caught up with this offensive line. And we've been very positive with this offensive line. We've talked a lot about it uh, in the past weeks. We've praised them for the job that they have done. 
Uh, but it was clear to me from the start of the game that the Falcons' front seven came to play. They really dominated the line, line of scrimmage uh, versus that Raiders' offensive line. Um, real quick, I want to go back to the the fumbles uh, real quick. Um, in the case of the, the second car fumble, I, I thought that one was especially damaging because at that point it was 13-3. to they had the ball with uh, 212 was when they received the ball 212 um, on the clock with two timeouts and this is just before half. They moved the ball into Falcons territory and they were at the 30 yard line and that was when Brandon Parker got beat like a drum, and uh, which led to that sack fumble. Carr had no chance on that play. Uh, can't blame him for that one. And, and the killer was uh, if the Raiders were able to score there, they could maybe build some mom- some momentum. And they get the ball back to start the second half. You never know how that that kind of affects the mindset of a game. Uh, you know, we'll never know at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think I had this thought, and I and I I think I tweeted it, and I said, you know what? After after a rough first half, you know, the Raiders get the ball. They can they can possibly turn this around. They can put put together a quick scoring drive. They can get back into it and make this a football game. And you just mentioned it. Just having a, a early turnover like that, and it just. It was a big blow, and at that point, I didn't want to say the game was over, but it just seemed like the Raiders could do no good. Even when they had little flares of, of good plays, and they made turnovers, and defense made plays at the beginning of the game, and they they had a couple of string together, a couple of good offensive plays. Even with the Josh Jacobs run late in the game, he tried to fight for a first down, and then he fumbles. It seems like every time the Raiders took one step forward, they took two to three steps backwards. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's move on to the the interception. I want to ask you about that play for just a second. I thought it was really, when you look at the the entire game, I thought to me that was the turning point in the game because it, it um, at that point in time it was sixteen to three. Things weren't totally out of hand yet. If the offense again, if they could just get something going on that drive, things could have taken a turn. Things could look a little bit differently. I mean, sports are all about momentum, and I, I really do believe that momentum is a huge factor in these games. Um, and don't forget that play came after the, it was a bad punt. Derek Carrier might've gotten his hand on it, but the Raiders had a a great starting field position at the Atlanta 36, but instead, uh, it was a prelude to what would happen the rest of the third quarter. Mo, talk to us about what you saw on that interception. Yeah, again, I, and I briefly mentioned it. Carr had time in the pocket. He steps up. He wasn't hurried. He didn't have happy feet or anything. Uh, the offensive line actually held up on that play. And, and Devin, Devontae Booker, I believe, again, had an option route, went left, and the ball just goes right behind him. And then Deion, and Deion Jones takes it the other way for a pick six. And when Carr's on the ground, you just look on him. It's just the by language. You can just tell it's like, man, I, I, we can't do anything right on offense. We, we try. We try to move the ball. We get good field position. We have opportunities. And it's either penalties or turnovers that hurts them. And it, it's, that was the story of the game right there, penalties and turnovers. Yeah, I, I do think that was the beginning of the end, uh, if you ask me. Now, in my opinion, it, that was one of the cases, as a classic case of Derek Carr trying to just do too much. He was trying to make something out of nothing. There was nothing there. He tried to force it. He was under. Uh, you know, I thought he was under a little pressure at the time. Um, I, I thought maybe he just should have taken the sack, lived to play another down, would have been third and ten. These are the plays that we've seen from Carr that he's avoided this season that has you know helped him play so well, but these are the plays in the past that have really plagued him. Just a really bad decision there. And and uh you know you, you've talked about the penalties. Let's get into let's get into that now, that that issue that they struggled with. Um they they've improved in this area this season. I think they've been 
a lot better when it comes to being penalized. Traditionally, they're one of the most penalized teams in the leagues. Uh, yesterday was a major step back in that in that department. 11 penalties for 141 yards, and they came in some big moments as well. Two of the more notable ones that I want to point out, the uh, Kwiatkowski interception that was negated by a personal foul on Evan Lawson for a face mask. Uh, the, the Falcons maintained possession of the ball in that in that series and went on to score a touchdown. And then the other one was the roughing the kicker penalty on on uh, Dalen Levitt. Now, some people want to say that was a questionable call. I'm not, I don't disagree with you. I didn't think it was the, the best call I've ever seen. Um, but but again, that one also resulted in a touchdown for the Falcons. But it, it was just a total lack of focus when it comes to that many penalties. When you have 11 penalties, and, and, and to me, that just shows a lack of focus. Um, let, let's take a quick listen. Uh, Gruden was asked about this in his press conference yesterday. Let's take a quick listen. Uh, we've, uh, like I said, we've been pretty good to this point. We've, we've had a couple games where we, we have been penalized, roughing the passer. I mean, roughing the kicker. Uh, we had some holding calls, illegal hands to the face. You know, you fall behind in the down and distance. Um, you give teams free shots. It's a it's a recipe for disaster, and, and that was what you saw today. So, Mo, we hear Gruden talk about the penalties there. Now, those of you who listened to the entire press conference, you would have heard Gruden taking responsibility for the way his team played. This morning, I'm not sure if you saw it, Mo, but Matt Nagy came out, coach of the Bears, of course, came out and ripped his players for their performance on uh, Sunday Night Football. I, I, I thought it was pretty cool to see that. I kind of like that when coaches get, get get in their players' faces like that. But in a situation like what the Raiders went through yesterday, who deserves more of the blame for the lack of focus and poor execution? Do you think that falls more so on the players or on the coaches? See, I, I would be able to better answer that question if I'm in the facility and I see how practices are run. I know Derek Carr said um, that the Raiders had a flat practice week going into the game. Uh, Gruden responded to that today, and he said, quote, we didn't lose that game because we weren't prepared. So to me, that tells me one of two things. Either Carr saw something at practice that the coaches didn't, that Gruden didn't see, or Carr went rogue and spoke on something that he shouldn't have publicly, and Gruden was trying to keep it in-house. Now, either way, the coach, Derek, the coach John Gruden, Derek Carr, the quarterback, are not on the same page. And as we all know, your quarterback and your head coach have to be on the same page on and off the field. So to me, there's something going on there, uh, something that Carr saw that Gruden didn't. But to, my, my, to, to me, if Carr sees that at practice, he should nip it in the bud right there. If you see that your, play, your teammates are having a flat practice, as the leader of your football team, it's your job to go in there and, and get in people's behinds. It's, it's your job to light a fire under them. If you see some guys not you know, kind of coasting through practices when you know you have an important game going going east, you have to light into players. I know Carr's not a rah-rah guy. That's not his style. But he has to be able to pull guys aside and say, hey, you need to refocus because we have to win these games down the stretch. So to me, if Carr saw that and Gruden didn't, that's on Carr as a captain, as a leader of the team to uh, get into his uh, teammates. But as far as blame is concerned, you can't coaches can't hold the players' hands. And we talked about the penalties, and I talked about it early in the show, the back-to-back penalties for Colton Miller and Brandon Parker inside the 15. You talked about the negation of, of the interception for Kwiatkowski, um, the rough in the pass from Crosby and Blake Collins. To me, those are just mental errors, and I don't think the coaches can do but so much. They can teach you, and they can tell you what you should be doing, 
But at the end of the day, you're on the field. You have to execute. You have to have a good head on your shoulders, and you have to play smart football. And the play, and that's on, to me, that's on the players. Now, it's different if Carr is right, and when he's saying that the players had a lackluster practice, then the coaches have to, you know, say, hey, we we need to refocus. That's on the coaches if they neglected uh, some lackluster practices going into the game. So again, I wasn't there, so I can't say. But if what Carr is saying holds true, uh, coaches are to blame. But with the penalties, the silly, the rough, and the passers, and 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 the offense penalties, that's on the players. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that Derek Carr comment because I did have that here in my notes. And um, you know, I, I listen. I was listening to uh, Scott and Q today on Raider Nation Radio, and this was a, a major topic for them. A lot of the people calling in were talking a lot about this as well. And you know, a lot of the feedback they were getting is that again, people like you said, well, why, why isn't Carr kind of taking control of the situation. If he saw players who weren't putting forth the proper effort, who weren't preparing properly, you know, it's his job as the leader of this team, as the captain of this team, the quarterback of this team to try to, you know, make sure that all his guys are ready. So, you know, we don't really know what, what, what he said to these guys because we weren't there, but it is something that he noticed, which I thought was interesting. And I, in my opinion, I think it's on the players. You can, you can criticize Gruden all you want for maybe some of the plays that were called or the game plan that was designed, but as far as the execution of the game plan, that's on the players to me, as you said. Um, so um, one of the other things that I wanted to touch on real quick about what Carr had to say um, about the lack of focus, he did say that uh, he's already emphasizing after the game getting refocused this week because despite the game being against the winless Jets this week, uh, a year ago, they were a, a bad team as well, and they they whooped on the Raiders thirty four to three. That's something that he talked a lot about uh, in his press conference. So, um, you know, they got to learn from it. They got to move on. They got to take their lumps, and uh, again, just move on. Now, speaking of moving on, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and take our first break. When we return, we will talk about the Raiders' path to the playoffs now at six and five with only five games remaining. We'll be right back. And we're back here on Just Pod Baby, the Week 12 recap episode with your hosts Evan Grote and Mo Moten. One last final thing I'd like to ask you about in regards to the game. Now, last week I asked you about your feelings on moral victories. We both agreed it's not something that we believe in. You and I were texting about this after the game yesterday, and this topic came up once again. I saw you tweeting about it as well. Go ahead and once again reinforce for us your stance on moral victories and why they don't mean much to you, especially after what we saw on Sunday. Yeah, it's just a nice way of saying good loss. And there are no good losses in the NFL. You either lose or you win. That's how it goes down in the win-loss uh, standings column. And I just said over over Twitter that there are, you know, moral victories are sugar-coated losses. It's, it's, just, it's like a pat on the back, a participation trophy to say, hey, you tried, but you came up short. But you know what? When you go home and you, and you think about it, it does nothing for you in the playoff race. When you are in a tiebreaker with the Browns or with the Ravens or with the Dolphins or the Colts, they're not going to say, well, the Raiders had a moral victory. They had a close loss to the Chiefs. This isn't the old BCS system where they're ranking teams based on how the fashion of their wins and losses. This is straight down the line. The tiebreakers are the tiebreakers head-to-head, your conference record. Moral victories do not count. Whether you play the Chiefs close on the second go-round does not matter. And I, and again, I just felt like you know the media is going to do – Media outs are going to do their thing, but I felt like the Raiders should have got more praise for. I feel like they got more praise for losing to the Chiefs than they did for beating them early in the year. 
And it was there was just so much buzz about the Reds after their close loss, and I just didn't understand it. This is a team that actually beat the Chiefs earlier in the year, and now after a close loss, people say, "Well, they're finally back." And I was just like, "Wait a minute! They, you know, they they actually got the job done last time. They they came. They had a great effort, but they came up short." So I, again, I'm just not a I'm just not a, a believer in more victories or close losses or good losses. I just don't think those exist. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that, and my stance certainly hasn't changed as well. Um, now, b- before we, we move ahead and, and uh, look ahead to uh, what the path looks like now for the Raiders to the playoffs, there's just one more quick topic that I want to bring up with you. It's something that I've been seeing pop up a little bit more frequently on social media and whatnot, and that's talks about a Derek Carr extension. He signed his current five-year deal uh, after the 2016 season, so in 2017, meaning that his current deal will expire after the 2021 season. Some people out there were suggesting that they get this conversation started now with Carr, especially because he's been playing so well this season. Others think it was maybe a little bit premature. Where do you stand on that on that debate? Yeah, um, I was asked about this. Uh, I, I was on with Q and Scott on Friday, and Q posed a question. He said, um, is it is it not too early to talk about an extension for Derek Carr? And I believe his contract expires after the 2020 season. But um, and I believe after after this year they could you know they could have released him and saved a lot of cap money or whatever. But he's playing well enough that that's not going to happen. But people were talking about an extension after they went after the Raiders went six and three. And I said, hold on, the job isn't finished after six and three. How are we talking about extension? Like what Carr has to prove? And I wrote an article about this on Bleacher Report, and people went bananas over this. I said. Carr still has something to prove. And I said, Taysom Hill, Cam Newton, Baker Mayfield, Phillip Rivers, they all have something to prove for different reasons. But Carr also still has something to prove. Despite him playing well, 6-3 and three doesn't prove anything. We talked about this. The Raiders have had a good record last year, and things fell apart. Derek Carr needs to help lead his team back to the playoffs. I'm not saying it's all on Derek Carr and he has to do it by himself. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that he has to be a big reason why this team gets back to the playoffs. Because if the Raiders fall short and they do not make the playoffs, those questions about Derek Carr, is he the guy long-term for the Raiders? Is he is he the best quarterback? Is he the best guy for the job? Those questions are going to pop back up again if the Raiders fall apart. Because we all know a quarterback gets a lot of the praise, good or bad, uh, fair or not, and they get a lot of the criticism, fair or not, when a team does not do well. Because we all know the quarterback is the main piece of a football team. So if the Raiders fall short, you know, six and three doesn't matter. Whether Carr played well in the first nine games does not matter. Here we are after two consecutive losses, and people are now starting to criticize Derek Carr again. He still has to hop that hurdle. He won a game in Arrowhead. He won a game in cold weather in Cleveland. But he still has to lead this team back to the playoffs. And before we can even discuss an extension, we have to see what the Raiders do down the stretch and how well he plays. Because, again, if he has a poor stretch in these last five games – we're going to have questions about Derek Carr once again going to off into the offseason. Yeah, and you know, just one thing that I was thinking as you were talking there, uh, and I know it was a different general manager and a different head coach and you know, totally different people who made the, the decision uh, in 2017 to extend Carr. Look at what happened between uh, 2016 season and 2017 season. Now, I'm not saying it's all Carr's fault, because there was a, a change in offensive coordinator and whatnot, but they had the magical 2016 season where he was in the discussion for MVP. They gave him the big contract in the off season before the 2017 season, and then you know he went on to have or and the team to, you know struggled for a couple of years. So I think they got to look at that 
and, and maybe try to learn from it and, and not jump the gun because the as you said they've had uh, you know a, a good start to the season they got to see this thing through they got to see Carr finish the job and lead this team to the playoffs so I, I 100% um, agree with you on, on that fact there um, okay so I, I do want to um, move it along here um, I want to look ahead now and I want to I, I want to take a look at the schedule. The Raiders did not help themselves out on Sunday in their quest to make the playoffs in 2020. Currently, they're on the outside looking in. They hold the ninth seed right now uh, with five games to play. Uh, Last week, we both agreed 10 wins is what we think is needed to get in. How do you think the loss to Atlanta affects the Raiders' path to the playoffs now? I know a lot of fans are on the ledge and is saying, well, we're we're not a playoff team now after that loss. And I, I think... I, I'll give the Raiders the benefit of the doubt watching them this whole year and being that they've played disciplined football for the most part, I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and just flush this as a bad game, right? Let's just say that. I do agree that they, I still feel like they need 10 wins to be comfortable. Um, if they get nine, let's say they do finish with nine wins, one of their two, you know, two of those wins have to be against Indy and Miami to feel good about, you know, the, those tiebreakers because if they beat Indy and Miami, they will have tiebreakers over Indy, Miami, and the Browns. The Ravens are the other team that are, are kind of in the mix, but they don't play the Ravens, obviously, this year. So that will come down to a conference record if there's a tie between those two teams. But I just feel like uh, people are are kind of just giving up on the Raiders' playoff hopes. I will say it's a slimmer road. There's, there's, less, there's much less margin for error. The Raiders made it harder on themselves, as they often do, as they often do in recent years. But... The path to the playoffs is still there, and it, and it starts with beating the Jets. And I think they have to go 4-1 and in these last games. I know a lot of people saying, well, they got to run the table. And, of course, ideally you want to win all your games. But if we're, we're just cutting it down to the nitty-gritty, as we mentioned, I think 10 wins is the limit, a 4-1 record down the stretch. But they have to. They And I say this with emphasis. They have to beat Indy and or Miami. Now, I, I feel like Indy is the more important game because I feel like Miami is going to kind of fizzle out down the stretch. They have a tough schedule. They have to play the Chiefs. The Patriots aren't dead yet. They have to play the Raiders, of course, and they have to play Buffalo. So of those teams, Miami has the toughest schedule, and I think they're going to lose a few games down the stretch. I think that Indy game is very important for the Raiders because I think it's possible that those two teams could finish with the same record and then you could have a tiebreaker. And then it really depends on what the Baltimore Ravens do. So there are a lot of variables right now, but if we're just cutting it down to what the Raiders have to do, Win 10, and you're comfortable. Win 9, and you're going to need some tiebreaker help. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you nailed it on the head there. And I, I obviously, the margin of error is, is, is much smaller now than what it would be if they had won that game. I, I'm with you. I think it's going to, they need to go 4 and 1 here to get in. I don't think nine wins. I just don't know right now. I think, I think 10 wins is going to be that number. It's not impossible, but there is a lot of pressure on this young team right now to kind of run the table in the last five games. Um, and, and, and really you can throw favorable matchups out the window. I was looking, you know, I'm usually into like, okay, who, who do they got coming up? What's their record? <laughs> you know, it is a week to week league. I always say that, but to me at this point, that means nothing because of what we just saw last week. Um, it doesn't matter who you're facing. If you come out flat and don't execute, it doesn't matter who you're playing. That includes the the 0-11 Jets this week. It was a golden opportunity uh, that was wasted uh, by the Raiders, that's for sure. And, you know, the narr- think back a couple weeks ago, the narrative 
surrounding this team was great after they won four out of five games. Uh, now that's changed after back-to-back losses. Uh, it's time you know, to rally the troops again. Um, and you talked about some of the head-to-head matchups. Uh, of course, the, the Colts game you talked about was is a big one, and, and the Dolphins, those are two games that I have highlighted on my schedule, uh, obviously for the tiebreaker pur- pur- purposes. And, of course, both of those teams hold two of the current um, wild card spots ahead of the Raiders. Anytime you have an opportunity to go head to head to kind of, you know, win control of a tiebreaker scenario where you control your own destiny and you don't leave it into the hands of another team, that that's uh, really important. And you get t- one other thing that I wanted to mention, which you already touched on, is the schedule for the Dolphins. I, I, I when I looked at and I went back and looked. At what I consider to be, there's five teams right now that I consider are fighting for for three playoff spots. You've got the Browns at eight and three, and I know people out there might be saying, "Ah, oh, they're in pretty good shape," but I've seen crazier collapses from the Browns. Um, mm-hmm. You've got the Dolphins, who we've touched on, the Colts, the Ravens, and then the Raiders. The Patriots are are still there. If they can somehow get back in the mix with that roster, I would consider that Bill Belichick's greatest coaching accomplishment of his career. Uh, I mean, when you look at that roster, it's just not very talented right now. They had all the opt-outs on the defense. But anyhow, I think the Dolphins is the team that I want to keep, an, uh, and I think everyone out there should be keeping a close eye on. Uh, you talked about the remaining schedule. I consider them to have four tough games. You said uh, the Chiefs, the Patriots, the Raiders, and the Bills. The one thing that concerns me about that Week 17 game against the Bills is that could be a game where Buffalo uh, has already clinched the playoffs, clinched the division, and they may choose to rest starters. It doesn't look like they'll be in uh, contention for the number one seed, so they may not have much to play for at that point. It's, it's, uh, so, um, again, not the easiest path for the Dolphins. Yeah, not the easiest. I th- again, at, I think they have the toughest road. Now, we'll see what happens with Buffalo and their, and their seeding. If the Dolphins keep winning, though, they can possibly challenge Buffalo because they still have the game against Buffalo. So we'll, I guess we'll see what happens there. Uh, quick note, though, I, I agree with you about the Browns. Uh, people are going to say, well, the Browns are 8-3 and three and they're in. I'm not I'm not too sure about that. They let, Just looking at their opponents, they still have to play the Titans the Ravens, the Steelers, the Giants, and the Jets. Now, you give them the, a win against the Jets, that's nine. The Giants, I believe, are on a win streak. I know Dan, Daniel Jones got hurt, his hamstring, I believe, but the Giants are playing good football right now. The Ravens dominated the Browns early in the season. I know people are down the Ravens because, you know, they got their whole COVID outbreak and they've been losing some games. But, again, they dominated Cleveland earlier in the season. So I believe Cleveland has three three tough games with Tennessee, Baltimore, and the, and the undefeated Steelers. That could be three losses right there. So I, I'm not completely sold. I've watched enough Cleveland Browns game, and I'm just not sold on Baker Mayfield. I, I feel like if the Browns play a good team, a good team with a, a good run defense, Baker Mayfield is not going to win you many football games. So uh, the Browns, I think, are going to have a tough road because of how their schedule pans out down the stretch. We talked about the Dolphins. The Colts get a little bit of a break. There was news that broke that Will Fuller, the lead wide receiver of the Texans, was uh, suspended six games basically the rest of the season for a performance and some drug suspension. And the Colts still have to play the Texans twice. <laughs> so the Colts get a little bit of a bone there. And, of course, they have to play the Raiders, which is, which is again, to me, a, a huge game. And they have Jacksonville. So I think the Colts are going to be in. I, I think when it comes down to those that wild card spot, that seventh spot, I think it's going to come down to the Raiders – the Ravens and the Dolphins. I don't have much faith in the Dolphins, especially if you put Tua in there. I know he has a thumb injury now, but if he gets back in there, uh, he ha- he's played okay. 
not great. The Dolphins don't have that many weapons. Preston Williams, one of their starting wide receivers, is on IR with a foot sprain. So I think it's going to come down to the Raiders and the Ravens. And then we can save the tape on this. We can go back to it and see if I was right. But I believe it's going to come down to a conference record because that's the if if two teams don't play head to head. The tiebreaker is what is their conference record? So whoever has the better conference record would get the spot over the Raiders and the Ravens if those two teams are battling for the seventh seed. Yeah, so we're cheering for the Steelers to win Wednesday night <laughs> over the Ravens. That would help. And, you know, I'm, I pulled up the Browns' schedule while you were talking. It's really crazy. You look at the Browns' schedule. They have really taken full advantage mm-hmm. of what is shaking out to be a weak schedule. I mean, they have only beat one team um, – that I consider to be a good team. They, 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 and that was the Colts. Colts. The Colts, yeah. Mm-hmm. They've only beat one team with a winning record. Let's put it that way. They lost to the uh, they lost to the Ravens, they lost to the Steelers, and they lost to the Raiders. And their wins came against the Bengals, Washington, Dallas. <laughs> we talked about the Colts, mm-hmm. the Bengals, the Texans, the Eagles, and the Jaguars. So, I mean, but you could look at that another way and say, well, you know what, the Raiders they had a, they had an opportunity to t- take advantage of a um, a weak team on their schedule and they didn't get it done. So the Browns are beating the teams that they're supposed to beat. And when you look back at the end of the season, if you can get that done, you might find yourself in the playoffs. In the case of the Raiders, that might be a game where you look back and that could cost them the playoffs. So you know, before we go and criticize the Browns and, and crush the Browns, they're winning the games they're supposed to win. So uh, that usually is a good thing. Now, Mo, before we we get out out of here um as we always do on the the recap uh episode i want to take a quick look at the jets there's not a whole lot to to look at they stink okay uh, let's be honest they're 0 11 for a reason uh they're tanking for trevor lawrence uh there's absolutely nothing about this matchup that that scares you it, if it if it scare if the jets scare you then um you know i don't know what to tell you uh the raiders had their wake-up call this past week against the Falcons. I don't see any scenario where the Raiders do not come out and win this game. They should be totally focused, uh, totally prepared for this game. But what are some of your thoughts on the upcoming matchup with the winless Jets? I agree with you, and I and I tweeted this. I said, to me, a Raiders win over the Jets doesn't mean that that was a bounce-back victory and the Raiders are back to playing how they were early in the season. To me... The Raiders have to play a clean, a much cleaner football game, less penalties, uh, less turnovers. If the Raiders play a sloppy game and they win 16 to 13, something like that against this Jets team, I'd still be concerned because, as I said earlier in the show, you can flush one bad game and say it was a bad game, it was a sloppy game, we had it once, we moved on from it, we flushed the tape. But it, now you have two consecutive, you have consecutive sloppy games back-to-back core performances and against two lesser teams that's the start of a problem one is a mistake two is a trend so i'm not saying that they have to blow out the jets because the jets could play one of their most inspired football games of the season they've actually scored 27 and 28 points in two of the last three games i know they only put up three against the dolphins but the dolphins defense is pretty tough the raiders defense isn't there yet so again they scored 27 against the patriots and they scored 28 against the chargers so they're starting to put up points. Sam Donald is back. They got Brashad Perryman, who's healthy now. Denzel Mims, their second-round rookie wide receiver, is making plays. Don't over, don't overlook the Jets. Don't don't just say, okay, we're going to beat the Jets by 20. I think the Jets are going to play inspired football, but the Raiders have – again, the Raiders have to play clean football. Less turnovers, less penalties, get the job done. I don't think a 16-13 win is good enough for me if, if they turn the ball over three times and just survive. To me, they have they have to do it clean. 
They have to play much better football, tighten up a lot of things that, that were loose in this last game on Sunday, and, and come out with a victory. So if they do that, then they can start to think, okay, we got two division opponents, we got two other teams that are in the playoff hunt with us. But with the Jets, the Jets have scored the fewest points up to this point. Fewest points, they had the fewest uh, yards accumulated. So the Raiders, whose offense has been pretty good except yesterday, and I guess maybe the Patriots, should outscore this team. They should win this game, East Coast or not, whether it's cold or not. I've watched these Jets games. I know that sometimes they could be scrappy, but this is a game, as, as we thought last week, this is a game that the Raiders should win. Now they have to go out and win it and prove themselves as a playoff contender. As always, Mo, you are the voice of reason. That's why Raider Nation loves you, and uh, and I do agree. Despite the record, the Jets are paid professionals as well, and some of these guys are, are fighting for jobs, so they should come out and, and play very inspired football. But I will reiterate, there will be zero excuses for the Raiders this week not to come out guns a-blazing. All right, guys, that is going to do it for this week's recap episode. Let's all just put this one to bed. Let's put it behind us, and let's move on. It's on to the Jets. For my co-host, Mo Moten, I am Evan Grote. Thanks again for joining us tonight. We'll talk to you in a couple days. And as always, just win, baby.